Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, October 6th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Executive Editor, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. On Tuesday in New York, Andrew, Spotify announced an ambitious program to add audiobooks to its digital audio platform. Yeah, you know, it comes at a really great time for publishing, too, because we've talked about digital audio growth a lot on this show. Uh, And they've posted that the digital audio segment has posted tremendous growth for more than a decade. It's been a true bright spot for publishers growing by double digits year over year. And many observers, count me as one of them, are expecting digital audio revenue to soon surpass that of ebooks. In fact, in June, we reported on the Audio Publishers Association annual survey, which showed an 11th straight year of annual double-digit growth in audiobook sales, a lot of those years with growth well above 20%. In fact, industry revenue is now estimated to be $1.8 billion, and for a market that was once really niche, that is real money now to publishers' bottom lines. So that all of that introduction to say, enter into this, the world's leading streaming platform, Spotify, which this week announced its foray into digital audiobooks with a glitzy, globally live-streamed party on the 72nd floor of its headquarters at Four World Trade Center here in Manhattan. Stunning views. And the party was really quite something. Hey, Alicia Keys played at the party. So there you go. At the event, Spotify rolled out the red carpet. There were authors there. There was an author panel that was there. The major publishers were all there. A lot of publishers were there. And Spotify's founder and CEO, Daniel X, spoke, as well as other executives, all to show publishers just how committed they are to their new digital audiobook business, which is something we don't always see in this business, right? We get these rollout from tech companies, and they're often a little more fraught. Well, this was a celebration of, of the highest order. And you know, this is really an important venture for publishers and, I think, for Spotify. And one of the things that is most notable is that this is a new time-based subscription program that will give access to Spotify's premium paid subscribers. They will now get 15 hours a month to access more than 150,000 audiobooks, including titles from all of the major publishers, all of the big five and all of the other major audiobook publishers. Listeners can use those hours however they please. They can sample across many titles or they can listen to entire books. 15 hours is about enough time to listen to one average audio book and then to get halfway through a second, observers say. And users will be able to pay $10.99 to, and I'll quote them here, top off by buying 10-hour blocks if they want to keep listening. The service is now live in Australia and the UK. Uh, The service went live on the day of the party here in the U.S., It's not live in the U.S. yet, but we're told that it should launch by the wintertime. Of course, this is not Spotify's first foray into digital audiobooks. The company already offers a la carte sales. It's a program they began, I think, last year. But that offering really doesn't work well, and it doesn't really fit with how consumers use the Spotify platform. Because the promise of Spotify is this frictionless access to music and podcasts. And that in and of itself may be the biggest headline out of all of this, that publishers went all in with this, quote, frictionless offering, because friction is something we've heard used quite a bit by publishers in the digital space over the years. It's something they want. Uh, And now here we are in audio experimenting with this, quote, frictionless program. 
The New York Times covered the event and reported on concerns that Spotify's new audiobook service is potentially a risky move for publishers. Did any publishers express such worries to you? No, as a matter of fact. And yeah, the Times report did make a lot about the shift in the model, which no question is a big moment for publishers. You know, Publishers have been traditionally resistant to these kinds of time-based subscription model access uh, for their products, whether it's eBooks or digital audio, at least here in the U.S. Uh, Storytel in Europe has been using subscription access uh, since its inception. And the Times reports that you know there was concern that this new business model, and I'll quote them here, could upend the lucrative and growing audiobook business. And they quoted one author's concerns that the, the model could, quote, devalue the work that goes into writing a book, which uh, takes me right back to 2009 when I hear that devalue the work comment. And look, those are legitimate questions here. And we don't know exactly what the the exact compensation model is, but, you know, and I haven't had a chance to track it down. I'm certainly planning on trying to. Um, some outlets are reporting that the payments are going to be based on hours listened and that payments would be similar to market leader Amazon overall. Not really sure. I certainly plan on doing more reporting on that. Anyway, look, it's all important how authors and publishers are compensated here. But I think at this moment in time, focusing on that misses the bigger point. And here's why. Because I spoke to leaders from a number of big five publishers, a number of them at the event, and all of them told me the same thing. They were beaming ear to ear, happy, very happy with the economic considerations they have gotten out of this deal. They told me that Spotify has been an excellent partner to work with over the years that it has taken to get to this moment. They're just really happy. I think everyone's really happy to have a counter to the dominant player in the business, which, you know, Spotify officials reference from the stage, that, of course, being Amazon's Audible service here. But, of course, the real value here is the access publishers and authors get access to the 220 million paid Spotify premium subscribers, uh, many of them young, many of them who will be discovering audiobooks for the first time on this really cool platform where they spend literally hours every day. And it was interesting during the presentation to Spotify's David Kafer, who runs their audiobook program, said the company was going all in, right? They were going to pour resources into using all of their you know, powerful recommendation and curation tools to help grow authors' fan bases. And they noted that when you know Spotify users open the app now, audiobooks are going to appear in the home feed, which means that every day – when a Spotify user opens the app, they're going to be presented with the opportunity to listen to audiobooks. And that's tens of millions of people every day. That's a huge deal. And that's why I think this, this moment, this deal is really so exciting to publishers. And look, a couple of other points I wanted to make here too. The first is that you know Spotify is not Amazon, right? If this decision doesn't really work out, whether it's next year or a couple of years from now, for whatever reason, publishers can easily pick up and move on from Spotify, and they won't have to worry about dealing with a company like Amazon that also has a grip on their ebook and print book businesses, right? So I don't really see the downside of you know, working with Spotify on this. And I think the industry has learned over the last decade that audiobook users, in many cases, are new customers for the publishing industry, and in many cases, customers for publishers that wouldn't otherwise even be customers for them. In other words, these are not always print readers. I think there are a lot of users that use print and audio and like to use them both, but there's a significant number, too, I think, that just like to listen to stories. So I think the chance to reach 
so many millions of new customers on this platform via this new model is well worth whatever tinkering, whatever risk, whatever, quote, experimentation there may have to be with the current business model, uh, at least, you know, as the concerns referenced in the Times report say. And the fact is, what I've also noticed over the last 10 years is that digital audio has proven to be very scalable across a number of models. And here's a case in point. Yes, Amazon Audible dominates, but there are a lot of competitors, a lot of platforms out there that also have share. And publishers have always worked with libraries to offer digital audio. And that's in stark contrast to the contentiousness of the library ebook market, right? Because Publishers have always suggested that library ebooks somehow contribute to lower commercial ebook sales, and they try to raise prices and otherwise uh, rig the market to, to account for that. But what goes unsaid is that in the digital audio market, libraries have been a ground floor player, and the rapid growth of digital audio has tracked with the rapid growth and high usage in libraries of digital audio. So I think the evidence is there that there's still plenty of room for you know, there's a lot more growth to come in audio, we can say, uh, because the consumers who use digital audio clearly cannot get enough. Anyway, time's going to tell on all this. For now, you can read my report on the event itself at Spotify and the PW site. And suffice it to say that this is something we're going to be paying close attention to over the coming months as the U.S. launch of the Spotify service approaches. You know, basically, Spotify is hoping to take already strong audiobook sales up to the next level and the publishers I talk to are all betting they can. The latest author income study from the U.S. Authors Guild makes pretty grim reading. Yeah, so writing has never been an easy way to make a living, right? And, you know, the Authors Guild does these surveys regularly. And the latest one is out. And, you know, my boss, Jim Milliot, called it a dizzying array of numbers, with the main takeaway being that authors are still pretty much struggling. And that's true. But there was a little bit of good news in this year's report. So you know, by the numbers, the survey drew almost 6,000 published authors, almost 5,700, I think the actual number was. Uh, and it found that in 2022, the median gross pre-tax income uh, from books for these authors was $2,000. So not great. Now, when combined with other writing-related income, uh, that median income rose up to $5,000. Still not great. But it could have been worse. Because that's actually up 9% from 2018, adjusted for inflation, uh, with all of that increase coming from full-time authors, whose income was up 20%. So at least it's going in the right direction, even if the baseline numbers are still not great. The report actually had some good news for aspiring authors as well. Uh, the report found that the top 10% of established authors who participated in the survey had medium book income of $275,000 last year. So that's the top 10% of established authors make quite a bit of money. Uh, $275,000, not bad. The bad news is that the bottom half, the bottom 50% had medium book in income of $1,300. Look, that should not surprise anybody. Two seventy-five on the one spectrum and $1,300 on the, on the lower end of the lower half but this is the life we have chosen as writers and as artists, right? They don't call them bestsellers for nothing. <laughs> they have to sell a lot to have a bestseller. The survey was conducted by the Codex Group, which also took a look at, you know, how traditionally published authors, those who were going through, you know, publishers, traditional publishers, how they fared compared to self-published authors. And here again, the report delivers what 
appears to be a pretty important emerging trend because in 2022, the median book-related income for full-time self-published authors was 10200 which I think is a pretty good number. And that was less than full-time traditionally published trade authors who in 2022 earned $15,000. Well, full-time self-published authors nearly doubled their income in this latest survey up to $19,000 and actually surpassed traditionally published authors. So that is certainly something to keep an eye on. As for the report, you can check out PW, my boss Jim Milliot's report on the PW site, and which links directly to the report. You can read more about that on the Authors Guild site. And it is well worth a read. You know, there's too many numbers to really blind you with here in this podcast. But I'll close with one note that I think that it's on point for what we talked about earlier today. And that's that the survey found that the audiobook format is still dramatically underpublished and is a real growth opportunity. 55% of traditional and 64% of self-published authors have zero of their books in audiobook format. And I imagine that is about to change in the coming months and years, and not only from new ventures, new players like Spotify coming in, but also from AI narration and other tools that are coming into the marketplace that make it easier to bring these works to market. Indeed, it's going to be really interesting to see if audio moves the needle on writer incomes uh, over the next decade. On Thursday, the 2023 Nobel Prize in Literature went to Norwegian novelist and dramatist John Fosse for his innovative plays and prose, which give voice to the unsayable. Yeah, important news this week. We have a new Nobel laureate. It's Norwegian author and dramatist John Fosse, uh, Anders Olsen, who's the chairman of the Nobel Committee at the Swedish Academy. Uh, the body that administers the prize said that Fosse's, and I'll quote him here, radical reduction of language and dramatic action expresses the most powerful human emotions of anxiety and powerlessness in the simplest everyday terms, but also does so with great warmth and humor. So there's that. Uh, Fosse was born in 1959 on Norway's West Coast. He's been primarily known as a playwright, though he has become more widely recognized for his prose over the past several years with the completion of Septology, which is a, a novel written in the form of a monologue in which an elderly artist speaks to himself as another person, much like the monologue I have running in my head, I think, constantly. Um, anyway, congratulations to John Fosse. We have a new Nobel laureate. It's big news. You can read all about it on the PW site. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Executive Editor, thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on Velocity of Content, on Thursday, October 12th at 10 a.m. Eastern, CCC presents a town hall special program on LinkedIn Live, AI, licensing, and the path forward. CCC's General Counsel, Catherine Zeller-Roland, and a panel of international legal experts will consider voluntary collective licensing, its significance to research, and the role it can play to drive innovation in science and technology, including for AI. Voluntary collective licensing came to text publishing along with advancements in photocopying technology in the 1970s as Bruce Rich explained for a June 2021 CCC Town Hall. There was this roiling debate that preceded passage of the 76 Act, and it centered on the proper treatment of this then brand new uh, technology, which was photocopying. And uh, education interests and others were keen on seeing the benefits of it, and necessarily the content community felt 
that there was a severe risk to the unlicensed and unlimited reproduction of its works. A CCC Town Hall Preview with Bruce Rich, next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening. Thank you.